Welcome to Porsche Pattern with Bracken Helms, the show where we hear Bracken and his distinguished guests from the Porsche community patter on about Porsches and all things automotive. Porsche Pattern is sponsored by Circuit 64. Circuit 64 creates authentic automotive apparel made for like minded automotive enthusiasts. The links for Circuit 64 are in the show notes. Okay, let's get to it. Tony Callis, Part 4. All right, this past weekend I was down at the Lit Show, LA Lit Show. It was a huge reminder that I should have got started on this podcast thing sooner. I mean, I've been doing interviews just like this since like 2010, 2011, and I fought it all the way. I don't know why I didn't want to do a podcast, and I fought it, and I fought it, and now all of a sudden I like go to the Lit Show and I get these reminders that like, oh, everybody does a podcast now. So now I'm like Mr. Bandwagon. Now it's like, oh, Bracken didn't have anything better to do, so he just thought he'd jump on the podcast bandwagon. No, reality is, if as soon as I started doing these interviews and doing these talks, if I'd had a podcast, I'd have been like the first person. Anyway, speaking of the L.A. Lit Show and Tony Callis Part 4, Tony came by my table at the Lit Show two different times. Got to talk to him a little bit about how he thought the episodes were going. And (laughs) one of his friends was talking to me about it, and I'm just like, yeah, he was a little bit nervous about it, even though we'd been planning it for a while. And he's all, Tony, nervous? Oh, no, Tony's a blabbermouth. I don't don't see that. So I guess what Tony said in, I don't know what episode, I think we've already done one of the episodes where he's like, people don't realize that I'm an introvert. Anyway, in this one, we talk about, like, I didn't know anything about his dad. So he kind of, you know, enlightened me on that. And then I'm a big believer in like butterfly effect. So when he kind of talks about the part where he got kicked out of the classroom and, you know, some of the other things maybe that develop people or happen in people's life, I just... What about him getting kicked out of the classroom kind of like caused him more to be more self-conscious and yeah, he continued to like cars, but he kind of kept it to himself and he didn't branch out and he just kind of stayed in his little town and didn't really have the confidence to really realize his talent or his capabilities because maybe that classroom thing or anything else that may have happened in someone's life at the wrong time, just like. I don't know. I just think about like little things that may have happened to people. What about there's someone out there that would have been miraculous as something, but like got the wrong information at the wrong time or the wrong thing happened at the wrong time. Anyway. Okay. What else can I comment on? Oh, he heard Sade as soon as he came into California. I mean, can you think of a better thing to come into California with than Sade? Not only is she attractive as hell, but like the song's kind of seductive. Perfect. We also go into like his voyage going from Texas to California in this one. I mean, he definitely had some luck. I think about some of the luck he may have had when that floor of his bug came out right as he got into Adrian's shop. I mean, what about the floor of the bug would have fell out while he's like out in the middle of the desert coming from Texas? Anyway, that's about enough blabbering for me. Let's get into part four of Tony Kellis. Um. Do you feel like you succeeded for the fact of trying to prove yourself because your dad already had his name? Or do you think this was just all like you would have done this anyway? Or is there a little bit of like... Oh, there's definitely a lot of that there. And I think a lot of us do try to please our parents. And my father was on a pedestal. But I still 
he's been gone a long time. And um, no matter what people say, and no matter what I've accomplished, I still have this yearning to move and keep accomplishing things. So for me, I still want to keep accomplishing, keep moving up, keep getting better, keep learning. Okay, so I didn't know I didn't know anything about your dad. I didn't know there was like a before thing. What was his like accomplishments or like what did he do? Well, I mean, I know 60s, a little bit. He was a Porsche district service rep and he got the gold cross pens and everything. I mean, the guy was working for Porsche and he was working in a Ford dealer when he was young. And uh, he's from a small town in Texas, you know, very small town, country town and 60 miles outside of Houston. And that's, you know, as you get go back in time, these distances get further, right? Because we didn't drive as fast. We didn't drive as easily. But um, he was working at a Ford dealer and somebody from Germany came in and said, hey, how would you like to work easier and cleaner and off the top of your toolbox? And he liked it. So he went to work for Volkswagen. And that's how the whole Porsche thing started back in the uh, early 60s. I mean, this is, this is going back quite a ways. But the thing that he passed on to me the most, and it's also a detriment, is perfection that we expect of ourselves and the thoughts that we have in our head. And I think we fight that more than we do the outside world. Yeah, he was a super perfectionist. And I had, I'm had i always working on that, too, trying to not really let that kill me. So going along with that, if I remember this right, the, you pulled an engine while you were in fifth grade, right? And completely, uh, what kind of motor was it? A little bit it? later, I was young, okay. and uh, we had moved to Sealy, and my dad built a shop out behind the house. I was helping my dad in the shop here and there, and he was gone, and he had taught me the basics of pulling an engine. I mean, there's just fuel, electrical, oil, throttle, okay, uh, but uh, but he had left, and he was somewhere, and the house is right there, or the shop, and so I walked back there, and I commenced to pulling the engine out of an early 911. I don't remember, 70, I think, and 1970 car. So I got the engine out and I kind of tried to clean things up and I put it aside and I thought he would be very happy with that and went to bed and about 1 a.m. in the morning, he wakes me up and he goes, listen, you did a great job. Or he did, I don't even think he said great. I think he said, you did a good job. Okay, but there's oil and dirt on the floor out there and you need to go pick that up. So I got up and I wiped up the oil and I made sure everything was okay and very, 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 military style difficult to please person so what was your mom like my mom was a german met my father he was in the uh in the army a very easygoing but both my parents were vain i mean i think a lot of people of that period of time were you know just look at tv and magazines and whatnot it was the beginning of it you know and the hair and everything and the movies and uh, steve mcqueen was a big he was a big one for my dad my dad's suits hanging right over there. He's exactly the same as Steve McQueen. I mean, he did a lot of things based on that. But um, my mom was easygoing and very loving, very, very loving. Not my, not that my dad wasn't, but uh, yeah, totally. To she was the foundation of the family. Okay, so uh, you said that your desk was put outside the classroom? Yeah, tough things to talk about, but I had pretty severe ADD, so I was distracting the class. I couldn't really pay attention to whatever they were having me do, so... They put my desk out and in the first grade, I think it kind of could do more damage. But I think one thing that I can say about this compared to nowadays is I did no drugs. They didn't give me anything, any prescriptions. And I'm, I, I question whether that's good. And some kids need it. I mean, there's no question, but I seem to make it. I think it would have been a lot easier if you grew up now, because I think people like 
now it's they like accept it. yeah. yeah it's more like okay well this person like autistic people like my friends um well, son, on the spectrum it's yeah. like they before they would have just thought he was weird where now all of a sudden it's like he's making a ton of money and he's just like still in like high school because he's like doing computer stuff that no That's one can cool. do because he so excels in other areas well there's no question about me on that somehow i won't talk about it but yeah i get it are you a patient person or do you have a temper? I know that you like teaching, so I assume that. I don't know. I'm too patient, so I work well with other people that help me run the company and do things. And I'm too patient because everything I see that people make mistakes in, I kind of see myself have, having done it. Not they don't. Not that they don't. But, um, you know, to run a business, you got to be. I think I'm a very patient person, probably too much. Okay, so while you were still in high school, you became a factory-trained Audi, VW, BMW, Porsche? Well, high school kind of ended early for me, and uh, on my own on right. my own regard. I went to work, as I said, for Porsche, and at that time, I also worked on... Later, I went to work on Volkswagens, for Volkswagen, went to work at Audi. I did different things, and I got training at every one of those. But let me explain. Back in, in 79 and 80... We didn't go somewhere to get training. They came to us. The German man from Porsche came to the dealer and up in the lunchroom, and they trained us on CIS and whatnot. So how much after leaving school did you make your voyage to California? Uh, well, I left school around, this is a good question because I don't have the timeline here, but let's say I left school around 81 and I mean, I literally left. I mean, it was almost one of those kids to put his middle finger up and say, I'm out of here. But you you got to put this into perspective. I was in a very, very small town in Texas where there's a different mentality. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying there's a certain way of looking at things. And for me, all I cared about were cars and Porsches. That's all I cared about. So I went to do that. For most kids, the best thing for them is to have that organizational uh, instruction, that schooling and whatnot. And I, and, I, and I missed out on a lot of things. But for me, I took the path that was best for me. Not saying it was right, but, you know, I don't look back. And for me, it's always forward. You can't live in the future, but I'm always looking forward. And everything I've done, everything that's happened is for a reason. And it's made me who I am. So I, I don't want to say I never do, but I never look back and wish things would have been different because it really made me who I am. So if I left school in, in 81 and I moved to California in late 84, it was only a few years later, I rebuilt the engine in my Beetle. It was a convertible with no top. Basically it was there, but it was nothing left of it. I put a, a hitch on the car and I towed my toolbox with my spool as a table and my cinder blocks and my stereo and I said, I'm going to California. And my father and mother thought I was insane. Where are you going? And I said, I, I guess LA. And my mother in her German accent says, you can't move to Los Angeles. Everybody shoots there and gets killed. And so we agreed on San Diego. So I got, all I know is by a map and we didn't have anything other than a basic paper map at the time. I looked at it and I thought, well, highway 10 goes towards LA. But then if I split off on the eight, I'll end up in San Diego. Sure enough, I got on the road after a very tearful goodbye. I don't even remember my father being there. He was very, you know, well, if you survive, you'll be okay. Otherwise, most people thought I was coming back within a, a short period of time. My friends, even a couple of them told me that, that they thought for sure I'd be back. 
but I got on the freeway and it was a very arduous ex experience. Uh, the car died in the middle of the desert at night. I was crying. I mean, I thought I was going to get eaten by something out there. I didn't know. But I remember seeing the mountains up ahead coming up towards San Diego. I remember seeing it in my bug and I'm just puttering along. And the radio finally picked up a radio station. It was Sade, a smooth operator. And I'm like, this is California music. I had never heard that before. And I thought, this is smooth, but good. Because you have to realize from a young, from the youngest age, I have been a non-commercial radio person. When I was 17, I don't remember, I only listened to Rice Radio. That's Rice University in Houston because I hated commercials. And to this day, I still can't stand the brainwashing that goes on. I'm a pretty strange dude. And uh, when I heard that radio station, it was nice to have something on the radio to listen to because I had maybe a Walkman. I don't remember, you know, with a cassette. I, I grew up in the 8-track period and I had an 8-track unit taped to the handlebars of my bicycle and I listened to Aerosmith rocks. I mean, and kiss, you know, things like that. But it was, uh, I saw the, the, the lights in the mountains and I got excited because I was, but I had worried about getting over the mountains, but, uh, yeah, I ended up in uh, ocean beach. I hit the water. I mean, it was like well, midnight or something. And, and I'm looking around, I'm like, this is very expensive. And it's called the Sunset Cliffs there in, in San Diego. So I was like, well, I can't afford this. So I turned around and I drove back to a little town called Ocean Beach, which is right there. And I looked and I'm like, I'm going to live here. I swear to God, this is so ridiculous when I look back how naive I was. And then I drove back even further to Hotel Circle. I lived there for three days. And I got a job at a bug shop, got an apartment in Ocean Beach, and surfed at Ocean Beach Pier. And I never talked to anybody because I, I must have had a little bit of a Texas accent. It really wasn't an accent because with a Greek father and a German mother as immigrants, I didn't really have an accent. And everybody has asked me my whole life, how do you have no accent and you're from Texas other than you say y'all? But um, that's how I ended up there. And that's where it started. So when you first came here, you worked at adrian shop so this is in el cajon this is a bug shop and then adrian believe it or not who is right here where i am in in torrance at 190th and hawthorne adrian was a friend of my father's uh from the racing days back in the 70s rsrs i came up to visit adrian here and when i was pulling into this complex i went over this speed bump right here and the floor fell out of the bottom of the car and adrian was here in the shop and he was looking out laughing he was just looking outside because my floor was rusted out. <laughs> so I didn't have the U-Haul because I had moved in down there, but I drove up here to see him and I didn't know where I was going. So I took five all the way up and then I got off and I took side streets all the way here. And of course there weren't, the neighborhoods weren't that great, but I didn't know at the time. And uh, I visited Adrian and after working with Adrian a couple of weekends, he goes, you got to work here with me on a weekend. Cause Adrian is a loner. He's really a very, very special, talented mechanic. We were in these four bays next door, but he's now in another location in Torrance and he still works alone and he works mostly on Seinfeld's cars. But uh, after working with him for a day, he goes, you got to come up here and work with me. And I'm like, I promised my mom I can't, I can't move to LA. I'll get shot here. And so Adrian lived in Manhattan Beach in a very large house. So I lived in a, in a little back house. And after kind of staying there a little bit, I'm like, oh my God, this is great compared to the El Cajon bug shop, area wide motors. And so, uh, I was just a long-haired surfer kid with a burnt nose all the time, you know? And uh, so I lived in that house. He, we found an apartment in Hermosa Beach that I lived in for four years. You have to realize $400 a month at that time 
in 84, 85 was a lot of money. And so I lived there and worked for Adrian here. And, uh, and I ended up selling that car and I got a, my mom gave me a Carmagia. So I drove that from Texas and, uh, drove that. And then I traded in on a bus. So I had a bus and when I drove it to tech, I drove there a lot. I was homesick a, a lot. And, um, uh, I ended up with no money in Hermosa. I was still living by the beach and surfing three times a day and I had no money. And because I was terrible with money, which now I'm awesome. <laughs> but uh, I cried. I was lonely. And I sold a surfboard to get money to buy food. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about how the business came about. You're a survivor here. <laughs> um, then you worked at Redline Porsche and yeah, so Vasek Polak. I worked with Adrian for quite a while. I think it was pushing 10 years. And I always need change. That's why I always worried about getting married, because I always need change. And uh, I worked for Pete Zimmerman at Redline, totally different place than what it is or what it became. I don't know. But but Pete Zimmerman wrote a book called The Used 9-11 Story. It's an incredible book. I would recommend anybody read that. And Pete was such a unique, eccentric person. And I, and I met Walt Watson there, a machinist, which ended up opening his competition, competition uh, machine shop up in Lake Isabella. And I met Mike Schott, which is a good friend of mine. We worked together and I was there for a little while and it was so different that I went back to Adrian's. And then I went to Vasek Polak for a little while and then I went back to Adrian's because it was my home. It was where I was used to. And Adrian was such a good instructor and teacher that that's what I was used to. So you did reach your goal of having the business by 30, right? Yeah. Okay. But Adrian, I, I told Adrian when I first started working for him in 85, I said, hey, uh, I'm going to end up leaving because I have this 30 year goal. And he would always smile and say, yeah, you know, I said, but no, seriously, I got, I got a goal. By the time I'm 30, I got to open my own business. Okay. Okay. Well, when it came to the one year notice, it got, it got weird. And Adrian was nice and he did his best for a while, but imagine what is, what that's like, you know, your employee's going to go open a business, you know, go open a shop and compete with you. And I mean, and Adrian is super nice and really special to me. And uh, we had our troubles for a little while, and then we we got back together. And um, he, he's uh, an incredible mentor, along with the guys at the bug shop, Don and Harold Carr. I mean, between those three people, they are probably the mentors that I have to mention, no matter what. Okay, as far as your skills, would you say you got your skills mostly from your dad, from these people you've spoke about just now, like that you've learned from, or just your own tinkering? This is a thing that's hard to talk about, but I think you're born with a lot of natural things sometimes. For me, it was just normal. I didn't even know how I knew what I knew. I know that sounds crazy. Uh, things just came naturally to me. Very natural. Doing things that nobody would, you know, would imagine at 10 years old of recharging an AC system on a car. I didn't even know, but I just seemed to figure it out right like it was coming to me. Uh, Don and Harold. Yeah, sure. My father, you have to realize when somebody doesn't have any patience, it's not easy. I will respect him forever. Don and Harold Carr are the two that had the most between him, them and Adrian, the most influence in my life. And, and they started it. Okay. So we know you're a purist, but how far would you go as far as restoring a car? Like you're not modifying. I'm going to go as far as not making it perfect in the way it was from the factory. This is a huge issue with the, the 67, 68, actually, 911R that we just finished, uh, number one. And now we're doing number 19. And it's a huge debate because uh, 
So, so we can talk about this for the rest of the period of time, including tomorrow and the next day. One of my longest clients and best friends and my general manager at Callis Rensport uh, gave me a book and it kind of changed my life. My father's a perfectionist. And this book, uh, The Stewardship of Historically Important Automobiles from Mike, changed that perfection is about the reality of like when the car came out, not what we see as perfection. So I'll be forever grateful for everything Mike's helped me with, especially that book, and seeing that it isn't necessarily what you think is perfect. You actually have a responsibility to, to put that car where it should be, not what you think it should be like. I hope that sounds okay. No, it's good. And that's a Simeon book, by the way, and he's since passed. Rest in peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, comment, like, and share with your friends. Feel free to send questions or suggestions to the email in the description of the show. Special thanks to our sponsor, Circuit 6-4. Goodbye for now. We hope we can get together again for our next episode. Now get out there and enjoy the cars and the people.